Acts chapter 20. And uh, I don't know exactly what the Lord's going to do with this tonight, but I'm ready for God to just touch us in this place. Amen. I feel him. I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I'm not just saying that. I feel him all over me tonight. He's in this house. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in dead church. I wouldn't be in dead church. Praise God. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verse number 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts, he had given them much exhortation and came to Greece. He abode there about three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail through Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. There accompanied him into Asia, Sopater, Berea, of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derbe, Timotheus of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode for seven days. Now verse 7 is where I want to pick up right here. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and he continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. It goes on to tell the story about Eutychus who fell asleep in the window. This would be uh, a little above average of a church service. When you got a man that falls asleep in the window, falls out onto the ground. And the apostle stops preaching, goes down, lays across his body, resurrects him, brings him back to life. And the scripture said that Paul went down and fell on him. He said, don't trouble yourself. This is verse 10. When he was therefore come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day, he departed. Now, this was, this was quite a service. But verse 7 said that it was the first day of the week when the disciples came together. I don't know, again, I don't know where this is going to end up tonight, but I'm just going to preach this little thought to you. It happened on Sunday night. It happened on Sunday night. You can put your Bibles down. Let's pray. God, let your will be done in this place. Let bread fall from heaven in this house tonight. Touch every heart and every life. We have experienced your touch. God, we've been exhilarated by your power. We have rejoiced with the mu music and the choir. And so tonight, God, I'm asking you to let your word come alive in this place and let us rejoice in the word of God. We're going to give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, church... I'm going to start with one preface tonight. I'm going to make this statement one time. 
and then I'm not going to do it no more for the rest of the night. I'm not here to preach at anybody that's not here. I'm not here to talk about anybody that don't go here. I'm not here to talk about any other pastor that don't pastor here. I'm here to preach to FPC. All right. I don't care if somebody watches this later on the internet and don't like what I said. I'm here to preach to the family of God. I'm here to preach to this church. Amen. I'm going to preach to you tonight. But I've been, I've been stirred up over the last few days. Um, I was in Little Rock at First Pentecostal Church. And uh, we were there in March. I think it was we were there in March. And Bishop Holmes told me then that he was working on a project with Brother Booker and uh, Brother Johnny Godair and a couple other men that they started studying churches that at one time were mighty, mighty churches. And he told me that uh, he had just sent, I, I can't remember who I was on that panel. I know for sure uh, Brother Booker and Brother Johnny Godair and maybe uh, Brother Buxton, some were on that panel. And they were, they were literally going, uh, at, at one point they had, had traveled around California and had gone to some homes of some people that used to be part of these great churches. Now, when I say these churches don't exist anymore, I don't mean they dwindled down. I mean like they're not there. They closed the doors, sold the building, something else, whatever. It, it doesn't exist. And he began to talk about them. I could name some for you tonight. I know we have an online audience, but there were men that in my youth, they were great preachers, powerful preachers, had great churches and maybe what appeared to us on the outside to be one mistake or one adulterous affair or whatever that it literally destroyed their church but this is what you need to know is that destruction does not happen overnight I'm just telling you you don't wake up in the bed with your wife this morning and wake up in the bed with another man's wife the next day you've been wrestling in your mind for a while Come on, you've been fighting that battle and you're losing. And these men did not just have spontaneous combustion and their churches fall apart. Now, I'm not going to beat a dead horse tonight and spend a lot of time here, but this, this turned out, this project turned out to be a book. And they combined the stories together. It's very good. Um, I've flipped through the pages. I haven't read it in depth, but I had had the conversation with Bishop Holmes about it, and we talked about the project itself and what was going to come from that. It's very heartbreaking when they sat down and started having conversations with these people. What happened? What, what was it that started the trend in the wrong direction? It blew my mind, Brother Jones, because some of the things that we talk about sometimes, I just feel like some old fogey ripping on the same stuff. You know, it's like, well... We can't stop doing that. We can't let that go. And then I get to feeling selfish sometimes, you know. But I, I got to reading in that book this week. And I took a picture. I took a picture of a quote. I know there's not very many in here that know Brother Godair. He was connected to us many, many years ago. As a matter of fact, Bishop Bingham introduced Brother and Sister Godair to start dating. 
uh, Brother Godair preached his first revival for, for my papa Bingham in Dyersburg, Tennessee. And uh, he's been a powerful man of God, pastor in Durham, North Carolina for 742 years. But uh, now uh, Brother Nathaniel Urshan is pastoring the church in Durham and Brother Godair is uh, the bishop of that church. He really is a great man of God, but you just have to know the way that he's preached. I've heard him preach all my life. And I took one quote, I took one quote from Bishop Johnny Godair out of this book, and I'm going to read it to you. So if you get mad, you get ticked at Bishop Godair. But I'm going to quote this, dead quote. He said, if any of you come to me and mention doing away with Sunday night services and giving people more time with their family, we will start church on Saturday night too, and that's a promise. He said, if you're going to talk to me about needing more family time and less church time, I'm going to start another service every Saturday, and that's a promise. Now, I, I, I told you I'm not going to say it again, so just know I'm preaching to you. But I want to tell you this tonight, that as they began to sit down and discuss with these precious former saints of God, that some of them are backslidden far away from God, some of them recovered, found themselves somewhere else. But others, they, they, don't, they, they never assimilated into another body. They were part of a powerful movement. This gripped my heart because I realized I had some men speak into my life at a young age and tell me, don't you ever think that chains can't be put on your church door. Don't you ever think that people won't leave. You're just a few decisions away. A few decisions away from taking a powerhouse of a church and turning it into a shell of what it was. And as they discuss this with these people, I'm going to just tell you some of the things they said. They said that there was transition in power and the pastor got to feeling a little bit upset because he felt like he was putting too much on people. This wasn't one conversation. This was one after the other, after the other, after the other. And every one of them said the same things. That pastor wanted to start lifting the load off of us a little bit. And he started feeling bad about the way that he had preached for years. And so he would let up preaching on this one little thing. Then he let up on that. And then they said after a while, he got to feeling bad because people were working so hard. So he stopped having Sunday night church. He said he, they said he stopped having Sunday night church. And we went to one service a week. And they took the midweek service and started doing a small group and got away from it. Somebody say, the pastor's preaching to us. You know why I'm preaching to you? Because this is the church that I pastor. But I've just come to tell you tonight, we're about one conversation away from Saturday night church, if you know what I mean. It's unbelievable to me how people want more family time and get home and send their kids to their room and sit in front of a TV for hours. Come on, they'll watch every video there is on what they want to see on YouTube for four hours and fall asleep with their phone in their hand, haven't prayed with their children, haven't read the Bible, but they can't believe that we're so old-fashioned we still have church on Sunday night. I want to tell you, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, we need more church, not less church. We need more power, not less power. 
We need more preaching, not less preaching. We need more choir singing, not less choir singing. Well, we got rid of our choir because it was a heavy load on our people. I have a very close pastor friend. I'm going to do my best tonight to not call names. But I have a very close pastor friend that feels as adamantly as I do. I know people don't understand it, and they don't know why I push it. But I'm telling you, one of the number one things that these people said in their conversations when they talked to them is, Pastor, close the prayer room down before church. I have a friend, a very close pastor friend, who has an amazing prayer room. They pray powerful before church. And he had a pastor friend come to him. They'd been talking on the phone, you know, going back and forth. They had been talking about some trends that were going on. This guy was getting rid of some services, canceled their weekly prayer meeting. And then when he came to preach for my friend, he walked into their prayer room. He said, how in the world do you get this? Now, you just have to know the way they shoot. He said, you don't get it by canceling prayer meeting. I'm going to tell you how you get it. You pray when you don't feel like praying. I'm not talking about sitting there watching everybody else walk by. I'm talking about opening up your mouth in an apostolic way and beginning to pray and seek the face of God. I'm talking about... How do you make it happen? You pray when you don't feel like praying. And you show up when you're weary. When you're exhausted, you come to the house of God. And you give God the best praise that you can give God. Now, I know that we meet a little different. There's nowhere in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you got to meet on Sunday Wednesday or Thursday or Tuesday or whatever the midweek is, there's nowhere where the Bible says that you have to meet. But I'm going to tell you why I like Acts chapter 20. I like Acts chapter 20 because the apostle was preaching on a Sunday night. Now, I know it was 200 years ago, but I'm going to tell you something about that church that the apostle was preaching in. It was Sunday night. And those kids had school the next morning. But the Bible said he preached until midnight. And they kept the lights on in the house. I know it wasn't a church, it was a house. But you're in the house tonight too. It's a house of God. I want to tell you that the men who were in that meeting that night had to get up and go to work on Monday morning. But the preacher preached until midnight on a... It, it happened on Sunday night. Some folks, some folks look at, at the Pentecostal movement and they think we're too fanatical. They think that we have too many requirements. They think that we meet too much. But I, I, I want to tell you, I'm just giving you my opinion. We started missing the mark when we started replacing meeting together for convenience. Now, I'm going to preach as straight as I've ever preached to you here 
I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why it's so inconvenient is because so many of us build our lives too far away from the house of God. You've heard me preach about the Sabbath day's journey before. How far is the Sabbath day's journey? It was said that, that a Jewish man was to build his house within so many cubits of the synagogue where he would worship. And that the purpose for this was that on the Sabbath day they could only walk so far. And if he built his house too far away, then it was impossible for him to make it there. Now, I'm not just talking about where we live because we've all got cars now. We, we've got a way that we can get in. It's going to cost you a little bit to get there, but you've got a car. And uh, the power of this is not just where our house is. The power of this is where we're living. It's a little hard, it's a little hard sometimes to get to the house of God when we're so busy with where we're living. Our lives are consumed with so much stuff. It's like, I've I, I preached it, Lord, I know sometimes I sound like a broken record. But I'm telling you it is a trap that the enemy has tried to get God's children into. And it's absolutely a biblical precedent that in the end times he's going to try to wear out the saints. And I'm going to tell you how he's going to do it. He's going to get us weary and get us in debt. He's going to get us in so much debt that we got to work so many hours to pay for our debt that we lose our families and we can't be faithful to God, but at least we got a nice house. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I know what I'm saying is the absolute truth. We live in an age where the place that we're living, if it's not like what somebody else is living in, we're going to die of comparisonitis. If we don't drive a car like theirs and our pickup don't shine like their pickup and our house has two less bedrooms than their house, then we're not living in the blessings of God. That's a lie from the devil. If you got a car that'll start and run and can bring you to the house of God and you got a place to lay your head, you are living in the blessings and the favor of God. If you've got clothes on your back, I don't care if they're Armani or if they're Walmart. You are blessed and favored of God. I don't care if your shoes are Dr. Scholl's or if they're Mezzins. You are blessed of God. It's amazing to me how the enemy works and he knocks us off balance. And so we start giving in. But the problem is that when we give in, our kids are watching. Now, when I, was, when I was a teenager, I was very active in the music of this church. I was involved in ministry in this church. My mother and dad counted on me. They made that clear. We count on you to play. We count on you to be here. And so my, my dad was my pastor, and we had some rules. I don't mind you getting a job, but you tell that guy at, your, at, at, at the interview, you tell that guy, I'll work for you six days a week. But on, on Wednesday night, I'm going to be off by 6 o'clock. And on Sunday, don't count on seeing me. Come on now. I begged my dad to let me play baseball. He did it two times. I played two seasons. And both years, I made all-stars. And the coach was so mad at my dad because they played all-star games on Sunday. 
And he told my dad, he said, Luke made the All-Stars. He said, okay, when you need him here, he said, the first game's next Sunday. He said, sorry, he won't be here. Now, the chances that I would have made the pros in baseball are about zero and 654 million. But my dad knew there was an anointing on my life. And he knew that the steakhouse I worked at and the lumber yard that I worked at, it wasn't going to make a difference in eternity. It was going to pay some bills. All I'm saying to you is that what one generation tolerates, the next generation pushes that as the new standard. we got to get back to the place where we are building our lives around the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what it costs us. Can I just preach to y'all and you still love me? Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him. See, I didn't even have to say it. Y'all are preaching so good. If any man come after me, let him. Take up his cross. And follow me. Isn't it something that the very number one prerequisite of Christianity is self-denial? But when the load gets too heavy, we need more family time. Can I tell you about my family time? I was five years old. And my mother and dad both had good jobs. My dad was a salesman. Had five states. Is that right? Five states. Six states. He's an overachiever. He had six states. My mother was an emergency room RN. And uh, I remember when we went and got our brand new car. Some of you don't even know what this is. But it was a Pontiac 6000. It was happening. My dad had a little pickup. My mom had had, she'd had a little gray Mustang. It was so cute. I wish I still had that car. But at that time, we had three vehicles. One of them was brand new. My mom and dad were working two jobs. My, my dad walked in, said, the Lord had spoke to him that we were going on the evangelistic field. What do you got scheduled? My dad was scheduled to preach two weeks at the church he preached at today. We started in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For Larry White, we rented, I'm talking about Austin, we were high rolling, Big Daddy. My mother and dad rented an RV. My dad and I flew to Chicago to pick up a 1979 F-250 extended cab. Brown and white, in case you're wondering. And we rented a Terry fifth wheel. From Shorty Mayo that leaked. And it smelled like mothballs and where moth and rust doth corrupt. And my dad and I hooked up to that truck. We we got the truck, drove it back, got that trailer. They came to this church. Some of you were here. Said their goodbyes. Brother Bingham was like, oh my God. Son, you mean you've only got two weeks? That's it. My dad pulled the rented trailer 
and my mom drove the Pontiac 6000. And we pulled into Larry White's parking lot in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And my mom and dad pulled their brand new car out in front of the church. We didn't have Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or nothing like that. We had MCI calling cards. And we had this little thing that when you'd go to the payphone, it made the dial tone. You'd hold it over the speaker thing and dial the tone because they were all like this. My mom and dad set that out. We had two weeks scheduled. We started revival. My dad started preaching. That first week of revival that we were there, it was like the first two days, three days we were there. Some dude pulled in the parking lot and said, hey, you selling that car? My dad said, yeah. He bought the car on the spot. Bought the car. Huh? He was a school teacher, so he knew how to do math. Which means my dad probably lost money. He's a tender-hearted sapsucker. And so, he sold their brand new car, sold their house. I remember sitting in the living room of the house when my Aunt Teresa and Uncle Bill bought the house. I don't know why I remember. There's some funny things I remember. But I, I remember sitting in that house. And uh, they sold it. That's where I went to my first day of school in the back room of that house. And we went up to Fort Wayne for two weeks. My dad started getting phone calls through his POC. We used to have to put that on our on our business cards. Danny St. Clair Evangelist, POC, Pastor R.B. Bingham. That's point of contact for those of you that don't know what that means. Uh, son, somebody called and wants you to come preach. So we went. So listen now. We had two weeks scheduled. I'm telling you about family time. We had two weeks scheduled. Didn't own a daggum trailer. Bought one of the ugliest Ford trucks I've ever seen. The back seat had leopard seat cushions in it. I'm like, God, we are two dice hanging from the window away from shame right now. And for the next five years, 350 days a year, We had church. In five years, I stand before God Almighty. My dad never made one phone call to anybody that we were coming to the area and needed somewhere to preach. That's why I think we still need God called evangelist. Come on now. And so for five years, we finally did... <laughs> We finally did come home and we upgraded. We upgraded from the 79 250 to an 84, 83, something like that. They changed, I just remember Papa saying it's an older body, but they changed the doghouse on it. <laughs> it was the, it's why we're so, Brother, Brother King, I'm going to prophesy to you. It was the only Chevy that my dad had owned at that time. And that engine locked up on us in derby traffic in Louisville and blew right there in front of everybody and God. 454. Big old sucker. We're sitting there with a 35-foot nomad fifth wheel on the back. Smoke's coming out of the truck. I said, Dad, what are we doing? He said, I don't know. Put it in park and turn the key off. <laughs> 
Well, then why didn't y'all just go home? We needed some family time. So our family sat in a truck in Kentucky Derby traffic. Paco was huffing and puffing. His breath smelled like Satan. That was our dog. And we found somebody that fixed the engine. We got the engine. We kept that truck. It was a good truck. We kept that truck for a long time. It's just Bishop knows how to drive one. We drove that thing. But we, we went straight from there to a revival. Our family time. One day we were driving down the road. And uh, I think I saw a little of us. I didn't see folks here. I want to tell you. Your Uncle Shelley's, uh, your Uncle Allen's wife, Shelley, the Elkins, she was an Elkins. And we were driving in traffic one day. And this travel trailer, green and white one, travel trailer came by us. Now, Bishop, I'm saying that very carefully to be sure they understand it was not the truck and the trailer. The trailer on Brother and Sister Elkins' van had cut loose from the hitch. And their trailer was driving down the interstate without them. And we happened to be pulling up just at the time that they lost their trailer. So we consoled an evangelist couple that had lost their home on the road that day. And we spent our family time praying with another evangelist. Me and Jody were at at, uh, Brother Wall's church. We were at Brother M.L. Wall's church. Dad was preaching. Jody got sick. So me and mom went over to the church. Mom played and sang and I played the drums. When dad started preaching, we got up and went back over to the trailer and Jody was sick. She was laid up across the bed. So mom said, well, son, let's go up here and pray for Jody. That God would heal her. So Sister Doris, we walked upstairs in that trailer. And you you got to duck down in there. We didn't have no slide outs in ours. We got up there and ducked down. My mom made that bed every day. My underwear was up in the top left cabinet. Jody's was in the right. That was our family time. I crawled across that bed to get my drawers every day. Mom had it organized. My britches, my shirts, my drawers. Everything I owned was in one little cabinet right up there. She tried to kill my dad with a sun tea jar one night in that trailer. Opened up the cabinet and flew down and hit him in the head. We had a pastor coming over to eat with us that night. My dad's sitting there gorked out. They're like, my God, our evangelist is on drugs. I'm like, no, my mom just tried to kill him. It's okay. So mom and I are standing in the trailer. She said, let's go up here and pray for Joe. And we walk up there. We're all hunkered down up there and get in the trailer. And all three of us piled up on the bed with Jody. My mom just started praying. Oh, God, touch her body. Heal her body right now, Lord. Touch Jody. Oh, God, touch her. And all of a sudden, Jody, which is very, very quiet, she started praying. You could hear her kind of pray a little bit. Holy Ghost got to moving in the trailer. My dad's next door preaching. I'm talking about family time. My dad's next door preaching. We're sitting out in the church parking lot in the trailer. My mom and I are laying hands on Jody, praying that God would heal her sick body. And she started speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. God filled my sister with the Holy Ghost in that travel trailer. Come on now. I know some of you are afraid your kids are going to miss out. Me and my sister, we had all our drawers up in those two cabinets. 
and our beds were shoved underneath the sofa. I had a blue uh, sleeping bag, and Jody had a, a green one, I think. I can't remember. I think hers was green. And when we'd come home from church every night, my dad would go get in the shower. We'd go out to eat, and we'd come back to the trailer. And Jody would roll her mat out on the floor, and I'd roll my sleeping bag out on the floor. And we slept with a pillow and a sleeping bag on the floor for five years and thought I was living in a mansion. We had a kerosene heater that stunk. It sat in the living room of that trailer. But when it got cold, man, they didn't build them then like they do now. My dad had this big old kerosene heater, but when it wasn't cold, that was my pulpit. I'd tell Jody and Paco to sit down on the sofa. And I'd pull out my Bible and I'd preach on that heater. Well, Brother St. Clair, aren't you afraid your kids are going to miss out? Let me tell you what I started doing on that heater, I'm still doing today, right now. I want my kids to know there is a culture and it is the kingdom of God and everything we do in our lives revolves around the culture of the kingdom of God. There are some things that can only happen when you are invested in the kingdom. Some things that can only happen when you sell out Whatever I got to do, I don't do anything on Sunday. And he said, well, I fixed that problem. I said, you did? He said, yep. He said, I just went to one service. I said, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, I'm like, I ain't hating on nobody. He's like, that's cool. He said, there ain't no sense in me preaching two masterpieces in one day. It's like, woo, brother, enjoy that. I don't know about no masterpieces, but I do know about a master that can put pieces together. And I've seen him do it on a Sunday night. I don't know what it is. I'm trying my best up here to just stay in. I don't know what it is about what I feel in this house on this Sunday night. But I'm telling you, there is no place that I would rather be on a Sunday night than in the house of the Lord with God's people. I've come to tell you tonight that a miracle can happen on Sunday night. I've come to tell you, you can get the Holy Ghost on a Sunday night. Your body can be healed on this Sunday night. Somebody say, preach to us, Pastor. Oh! You know, I might not ought to say this, but I got the microphone, so I'm going to say it. It's amazing to me that people talk about, I'm going to let our church folks have more family time, but then their church folks go find somewhere else to go to church on Sunday night. You want to finish, Bishop? He said, you're doing good. Appreciate you abandoning me. It's okay. Listen, I'm preaching to us. But I'm going to tell you what I feel about this church. I feel like God has his hand on this church. And I feel like on any given Sunday night, anything can happen. Anytime we come, it can happen on Wednesday night. Listen, we've got to get, we've got to get over Worrying about what's going to happen on Wednesday night because that's our laid back. No, it isn't. 
Two of the longest revivals this church has ever had started on a Wednesday night when some people came together and they threw their preconceived ideas out the door. They said, I'm tired and I've worked already Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, but they came to the house of the Lord and we had church and people started getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized in Jesus' name. Why do you want to have revival? Because every chance we come together is a chance for God to do something incredible. I want to be in the house of the Lord there's something you know I'm thankful we can FaceTime and all that stuff now I like it I think it's cool when I'm out of town it helps me I see my kids I see Bobo I get to see Bobo my dog on FaceTime I like it but you know what it don't fix it, it, it. It's not near the same as when I walk in the door and my girl say, hey, daddy. I'm what? She said, oh, you're sweaty. <laughs> sweaty on Sunday night. You cannot replace. There's no way to fix and replace the touch of a hand. Listen, I know you probably think I'm overreacting, but it's a lie that the world is selling. That's why pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. Because people fall in love with a fantasy idea. Their brain gets the same chemical trip as it would if they were together, but they've invested nothing in a relationship. They haven't had to pay one bill. They haven't had to buy one dinner. They fall in love with an idea, and then when God finally gives them a spouse, they compare their spouse to the fantasy world. I'm going to preach it if it helps every devil in hell right now. I'm going to tell you, you can't fall in love with a fantasy world and understand what I'm not going to fall in love with God over a camera. I'm going to fall in love with God on a Sunday night in the house of God. When my kids are dancing, I'm going to get up and dance. When the choir's singing, I'm going to shout and sing. Come on, I'm going to clap my hands. I'm going to stomp my feet. I'm going to give God praise. I'm hurrying. Happened on Sunday night. There's some things that happen that can only happen when you show up to the house of God. I don't know how to explain all that, but I can tell you, Brother Snow, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's some things that can only happen when you're here. There's something about showing up. When you're exhausted, when you're hurt, when you're broken, you've been through some things, but you just come on anyway. I, I, I don't have time to read this whole story because I'm, I'm trying to hurry up. But on June the 5th in 2010, sports fans packed out Yankee Stadium, but it wasn't for a baseball game. It was actually for a boxing match between Yuri Foreman and Miguel Cotto. Now, Foreman, you have to understand, 
when he showed up to the fight, I don't know either one of these guys. I'm not a big fan of boxing. I mean, I like it, but I don't, I don't watch any of it. But Foreman had been injured. He was wounded. And when he showed up to Yankee Stadium that night and stepped into the ring, he entered with a knee brace on his knee to assist with an injury. And by the seventh round of the fight, the knee that he had in the brace started buckling on him. He was trying to box, but he was getting weak, and that knee kept buckling. Somebody say he showed up anyway. He showed up anyway, and he was fighting, but that knee started getting weak. Now, I, I took some pretty good beatings, uh, but I don't think I've ever experienced anything quite like that. But in the eighth round, after a full round of his knee buckling, Foreman was fighting. And by the eighth round, his corner exercised their right to throw in the towel and stop the fight. But this made news. Because Mr. Foreman's coaches and his corner decided that Yuri was done fighting. His knee couldn't take anymore, that he was finished. And so they threw in the towel. But to the surprise of everyone, you can look this article up for yourself. To the surprise of everyone, Bishop, when his corner threw in the towel, he was standing there fighting, and they threw in the towel. They said that the referee walks over and picks up the towel and throws it back at his corner. Now his coaches thought that they had the power to stop the fight. Lord, I'm fixing to preach and don't even mean to. But the official rules of boxing say that nobody in your corner has the power to stop the fight. They said that the fight is in the hands of the referee. And there were some people in his corner saying, you're done. You don't have what it takes. You can't finish this fight. But when the referee picked up that towel and threw it back in the corner, he hollered at his corner and said, that fighter still has some fight in him. I'm telling you, you may have had some people in your corner that have been telling you it's over. You might as well quit fighting. You're never going to finish. But you came anyway on a Sunday night. And I want you to know the Holy Ghost has picked up your white towel of surrender and thrown it back in your corner and said, keep on fighting. There's still some fight in you. You may not be where you want to be, but God's not finished with you yet. I don't know what your world looks like, but I can tell you this. I'd keep on fighting every Sunday night. I'd show up every Sunday morning. I'd show up every Wednesday night. I'd show up to every prayer meeting. I'd go to every camp meeting I could go to. I'd go to every conference I could go to. I'd dance every chance I got to dance. I'd shout every time I got to shout. Because there's still some fight in the fighter. Stand. There's a dynamic 
It's not going to be understood by everybody. Oh, God. But I've seen the drug addict set free on our second Sunday service. Come on now. I've seen it happen on the first two, but there's something powerful. When you don't get it on the first one. Well, I went this morning. I know how the devil is. He'll put people in your corner. Well, you went this morning. It didn't fix anything. Yeah, but they're meeting again tonight. Well, why would you go back? Because you just don't understand what happens when I get to when I get together with God's people. Eutychus, you thought your life was destroyed on a Sunday night, but God restored you on a Sunday night. The preacher kept on preaching, and the church kept on reaching, and it happened on a Sunday night. Come on, parents. Look at our kids. It's Sunday night. I think it's time we show our kids that our worship is not regulated to the beat of a drum. It's not regulated to what the keyboard's playing. But granddaddy's going to worship. And daddy's going to worship. And mamma's going to worship. And mother's going to worship. And we're going to do it every Sunday night. Now, I started this tonight by telling you about this study or whatever you want to call it. These great men of God did. But there's something I picked up on with Bishop Joel Holmes over the years Brother Snow you were there this week maybe you heard him say it I didn't hear it in person but I've heard him say it that he wants FPC Little Rock to have that Jerusalem ring anybody ever heard of the Jerusalem ring it's what I was calling tonight the sound of victory he said there's something about apostolic church when people get to dancing and shouting and man, I hope he don't ever see me to say this, but I wish I wish I could tell you the way he says it. He said, There'd been others that's tried it. There'd been others that's got up there and danced. But it don't have the Jerusalem ring to it. He said, These people can try to imitate worship. I don't care if it's the same lyrics or not. There's a Jerusalem ring to an apostolic church that was born in Jerusalem. I don't want no fake and bake. I don't want to come together with a bunch of emotionalism. I want to be in the presence of God. And I want my worship to have that Jerusalem ring. I want my worship to... When there ain't nobody else shouting... I want to throw my head back and shout hallelujah. I'll tell you, there's a lot of bitter backslidden people that are fighting 
I talked to you about it this morning. The, the ones that went out from us. But I'm going to tell you what happened this morning. And I would never embarrass anybody. But these two sisters back here, got, we got talking back here. And then I came out here and got talking. And I'm going to tell you what this family told me back here today. They're, they're, they're not really connected to us. Sister Doris, this is what they told me today. When I walked back here, they said, what you're saying in this church is what everybody in this area needs to hear. That's what they said. This woman looked at me. The one that we, we were talking about in the back. She looked at me. She started crying. She said, don't you ever stop preaching what you preach. I, I know. There's some folks that say, let up a little. Relax a little. But the world is saying, we want something with the Jerusalem ring to it. We want something that's got some power to it. We want something that when we walk in there and our family is fractured, we, we walk in on a Sunday night and God starts putting it back together. waiting on somebody to get what I'm saying. Some of you are waiting on the drums to start playing. But I'm waiting on somebody to understand that victory has a sound. Victory is not silent. On the seventh day when they marched around Jericho, the man of God said, go ahead and shout. And when they opened up their mouth, but not until they did, walls came tumbling down. There's some things that can only happen when you open up your mouth and begin to give God praise. Come on, you got to get up. You got to get up out of that grave. You got to walk out of that tomb tonight. If you want God to do a work, you got to walk out of it. You can't stay where you are and walk in victory. You got to get up and walk out of it. Get about